You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Forget about what's going to happen next year or the year after that, or for the rest of your life for that matter. Let's talk about what's going to happen right now. I don't know if you've ever been engaged in a conversation where you are receiving that kind of rebuke or maybe giving that kind of rebuke. There have been a few times in the life of my children growing up where I might have felt that way. I'm sure there were times, and I remember times where I got in trouble and it was like, let's for, hey, you're grounded for the rest of your life, but let's talk about what's going to happen right now. Um, there have been times where I might have entered my boy's room and said, listen, you're, you're, you're going to pay the penalty for this for, you know, in, in as much emotion and drama as possible for the rest of your life. But let's talk about the consequences you're going to suffer right now because of what you did. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Maybe it's just me, but I'm assuming that you either said those types of things or experienced those types of things where someone gave you a warning and the consequences of your said actions shifted from what would happen in your future if you continued on this path. Maybe you had that person come into your school and say, if you continue this way, this is what your life's going to end up like. But maybe they shifted from, well, here's how it affects you today. This is how it's affecting your life in this moment. And in Ephesians 5, we're in a series on Ephesians, sit, walk, stand. We're talking about what Paul is trying to share with the church in Ephesus. And in this particular chapter, chapter 5, we talked about last week, Paul finished up the first part of this chapter with a warning concerning participating in behavior that was evil. Living in such a way contrary to the word of God. And in essence, he's saying that living in a way contrary to God's word, stiff-arming Christ's love and acceptance through the cross will lead to eternal separation from God. That's what we talked about last week. This is what happens to those who are disobedient. There's an eternal separation from God. But then Paul shifts and he goes on to say, that's what's going to happen in the future, but let's talk about also what's going to happen right now. In essence, he's saying, let me give you some more reasons why living living incongruently with God's holiness and contrary to God's purity, walking in purity, walking in holiness, let me give you some reasons why that is foolish today, not just for your future. So if you have your Bible with you today, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We're still there. We're going to still be there probably for a few more weeks at least. And we're going to start today picking up where we left off last week in verse 8. And we're going to read through verse 17. This is our text for the day as we unpack this together. Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but wise, 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us and empower us through your word today. You see, the first verses here are playing on the symbolism of darkness and light. This is the metaphor, the symbolism, if you will, today as as Paul's talking about darkness and light. In the New Testament, light and darkness are common symbols for good and evil. In the book of John, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, light represents life and ultimately eternal life with God in heaven. Darkness, on the other hand, is the absence of light, the lack of God. It represents the power of evil, the power of sin and death and unbelief in this world. And all of that leads to not just difficulties in the moment, but eternal death, eternal separation. So for you and me, we're either children of the light or we're children of the corn. No, no, no. That's just what I think about in children of darkness, which pretty much kind of go hand in hand right there. Yeah, I'm sorry for putting that thought into some of your minds that saw that and you shouldn't have. But I want you to notice something extremely interesting straight away. Paul doesn't say that you were once in darkness, which we are, and that's true, but that's not what he says here. He doesn't say you were in darkness. He says, in the past, you were darkness. This highlights an, an, an important point and the reason that we need Jesus to save us. This really highlights the need for the good news of the gospel. He's saying doing bad things doesn't make us bad. We're bad already. Even if you're doing a bunch of good things. Doing good things doesn't make you good. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We're not in darkness because we do deeds of darkness. We're in darkness because we are darkness. And apart from Christ, this is who we all once were. Paul said, these weren't, uh, it wasn't like a few shadows were creeping in on your life, making you have bad choices and do bad things. No, it was complete and utter darkness and chaos, and we were utterly and completely lost. Does that sound like anything else in Scripture? How about Genesis 1? The world was completely covered in darkness, which is symbolic or meaning chaos. Until what? Until light broke through. So for us, here's what Paul's saying, that there is this chaos of darkness that the light of the world broke through, that being Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus didn't just come to deal with the symptoms of darkness. He came to light up the darkness and dispel it completely. He didn't just come to deal with the sinful symptoms of my life as if I had a cold and needed to take a little bit of medicine. He came to put that old life of mine to death and raise us up to raise me and you up to a new life completely. That's what Paul says. And his next thing is so powerful. What Jesus has done for us through the cross, through salvation, is so powerful. It's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of being darkness. And this is what he says. 
says. It's not that he's just called you out of darkness and into the light. He says, we are light. Once you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. This is a massive transformation. This is the transformation that takes place when we give our life to Jesus. It's not just a minor tweak of a life that's kind of bad. We didn't turn on a flashlight in a dark field. You ever done that? Doesn't do a whole lot of good. Ever watch one of those suspenseful movies, maybe like Children of the Corn, I don't know, and, and you watch something like that, and there's somebody that's being chased in the darkness, and you know there's somebody out there chasing them, but you can't see them. They know there's somebody out there chasing them, and they can't see them. And so what's their solution a lot of times in these stupid movies? They cut on something like a little pin light. Where all you can see, and this is for dramatic effect, is their face, and there's still complete utter darkness until that thing that we all know is there, that they know is there, but all I'm going to do is stand there with a pin light, jumps out, and destroys you, kills you, eats you, or whatever does. It freaks us all out. I got a pit. Apostle Paul is saying, you don't have just a little pin light. I'm sorry for the little children's song, but it's not this little light of mine that's going to let it shine. He's saying that the sun, and you can use it as a double entendre, the S-U-N just got turned on. The S-O-N got lit up in my life, and now I'm not just a little light. I am the light. The light of the world has shone into my life. And by virtue, here, watch this, by virtue of our union, our relationship with Jesus Christ, he's saying that the light of the world that came in to dispel darkness and the darkness did not overcome it has now lit up my life and now I am light. Probably the most powerful description of this is found in the Gospel of John, and I want to read that. I just have alluded to it. John wants his readers to know that Jesus is fully God in human form. He is God incarnate. And John then reveals the purpose of God coming to earth as a human. Here it is. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, watch this, and the darkness has not overcome it. I don't know why we think that we've got like this little candle and that the darkness is always all around us and that we're just anemic and weak. No, what Paul is saying is, yes, you once were darkness, but now you are light because of the light of the world that is in us. Jesus Christ came to bring the light of God's life into a spiritually dark and dying world. And we, who at one time were darkness, are now the undeserving beneficiaries of becoming light when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior in our lives. In Christ, we are light. Then Paul goes on to say, if Jesus is Lord and you are light, then you have to live as children of light. He's making the same point that he's made throughout the book of Ephesians. If you've been here or you can watch it online or listen to the podcast, it's the same message over and over and over again. It's with great redundancy that he says, this is how you live because of who you are. He's making the same point. Who are you? Light. That determines what you do. Walk in the light. Who you are, light, determines what you do. Walk in the light. So because you are light, you can't help but be light wherever you go. So you shine. 
That's what we're supposed to be, shining lights. So we can form our new identity, in essence, radiate the light that we are. We're not trying to do something to become something. We are something in Christ, and so we're supposed to look like it. We're not trying to do good deeds to be shinier. Because that's what we think, like if I do this and I do this and I'll look better and, and I'll just be holier and I'll be more pure. No, we are bright lights because we are the light in Christ already. I can't help but walk in the light because everywhere I go, the light of Christ is me. Because I am light in the Lord. In Christ, in the Lord, I am light. This is why knowing who you are in Christ, knowing your identity in Christ is so important. It determines how you live for him. And remember, how do we live for Christ? Not out of compulsion. We talked about this last week. Not out of compulsion. Not out of obligation. Not trying to earn his favor. Not trying to make him love me more because he loves me as much as he ever will and nothing can change that. But we do what we do because God loves us so much that he has secured our dedication through the cross. Yes, we can praise God for that today. Okay, I gotta calm down. Mm. No, I do. There's another service after this, and I, and I need a voice for that one. Let's keep going. Paul goes on to describe what this practically should look like in the life that is shiny and new. Live as children of light, verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. This is pretty straightforward. The kind of stuff that grows in life, in the life of, that has light, are things that are full of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Let's parse this out a little bit. Our lives are marked, we can say it this way, by benevolence, fairness, and integrity. Benevolence, fairness, and integrity. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. You see, goodness is the achievement of moral excellence combined with a generous spirit. That would be benevolence. Righteousness would have been understood at that time as giving all their fair due. There's a matter of fairness to how I live my life with others. And then truth stands for genuineness and honesty. It's not only something to be said, but it's something to be done. Therefore, it is integrity. This is something that I find lacking so many times in the lives of those who call themselves the light of Christ. I'm talking about honesty in every way, integrity. And this is what Paul's saying. All of these things should be present in the life of those who are light. And this trilogy in Ephesians 5.9 is reminiscent of a statement in Micah 6.8 that God requires of us as humans to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And remember, these are byproducts of who we are. Or as Paul says, fruit of a life that has Jesus shining in and on it. This is a life that puts their faith and hope in Christ, not prerequisites to be accepted by God. This is who I am, loved by God, accepted by God in Christ, made new in Christ, so now I am light. And if this is the case, verse 10, I will want to find out what pleases the one that I love and actually do. Do it because of his love for me and my love for him. When I first met Carla, I was smitten with love for her. As I shared last week, maybe I had a little bit of infatuation. 
And one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to find out the things that she loved. What was her favorite candy bar? And I was going to buy it for her. What was her favorite flowers? I was going to get those at specific times. What was her favorite music? And I was going to make a mixtape. Because it was that long ago. What was her favorite hobby? Well, let's go do that together. What was her favorite scent? And then we'll spray it all over me. Like Pepe Le Pew when I walk in the room, right? Wow. Okay, I like it a little bit, but just not that much. What was her favorite style? I probably couldn't figure that out, so she had to help me. And all of those things I did because when you are in love, that's exactly what you do. Come on, somebody. I mean, when you love somebody, you find out, and if you don't, if not, let me just help you a little bit here in your relational equity and how you're going to work this out in life. You find out what that person loves, and you do it. Okay, yeah, all right, thank you. But listen, on the flip side, you find out what they don't like, and you don't do it. No, they're just going to have to love me for who I am. Okay, Mr. Selfish, Miss Selfish, whoever you are in this room, let me help you because your relationships aren't going very well at this point if that's your approach to them. But let me help you. God loves you unconditionally, but you're not married to God. God loves you unconditionally, and you can't make him love you any more than he already does. But because we love him, we want to find out what pleases him. And what Paul is saying, once you find it out, you do it as much as spiritually and humanly possible. If we're children of light, we're continually trying to ascertain what is the will of God in every situation so that I can do what he loves and please him. And guess what? This covers everything. It's like, well, what about, what about where I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, and what I'm going to do, and how I'm going to spend my time? It doesn't matter. And I'm not saying that every second, well, God, should I take a left or should I take a right? But that I am so in tune to what God is saying to me and that what he loves, I am trying to do it. The Greek word is dokimazo, and it means this, to test or discern or to approve like you would with a metal. Like, is this pure gold or not? God, is this what you want me to do or not? God, is this pleasing to you or not? Is this really the fruit of light or the fruit of the Spirit, which is what that also could mean? Or is this fool's gold? Because that's what it's like testing a metal. Like, is this pure? And God will help you. He'll refine you and help you make it pure if you'll ask him. Help, Lord, help me to discern whether or not this is fool's gold. I did a lot of reading and, and research Remember, research means you just Googled it, right? So I did a little bit of research this week on fool's gold. You don't, you, you don't understand how many people thought they had something and they didn't have anything. It looked shiny. It looked new. It looked valuable. It was pleasing to me. I thought I'd hit the jackpot. They thought they'd hit the jackpot. But what they found out was they had pyrite. And it really wasn't worth as much as they thought. And there's a lot of things that we do in life that look shiny. It's pleasing to us, but it's worthless, and it's grieving to God. It's not light. It looks like light. That's why the enemy is called an, an angel of light. He's trying to look like, and all he is is pyrite. He's fool's gold. So he's saying discern, test, and once it's certified 24-karat gold, my apologies to Bruno Mars, then do it. Do it. If our behavior 
what we do is conforming to our new identity, children of light, then we will, watch this, some translations say, live like people who are at home in daylight. You know what's not at home in the daylight? A lot of nasty stuff. I mean, I went and looked, like the, the, the animals in the deep that live in complete and utter darkness are some of the ugliest animals. I'm serious. They're scary ugly. You know what lives in the darkness around our lives? A lot of t- like, it, it all starts with M, mold, mildew, and mushrooms. And those are toxic, dangerous, could be deadly. There are other things that live in the darkness like bats, vampires. <laughs> those aren't real. If you think they are, let me help you. They're not. But we do have some kind of weird affinity with them in our, in our culture like Bram Stoker's Dracula, Morbius in the Marvel comics and now movie. And, and oh, don't, let's don't forget Twilight because we all love that. But metaphorically speaking, we don't live in darkness. And Paul is saying, if you're going to avoid being a spiritual fungus or a spiritual vampire, then you have to have an intentional approach to darkness and live as people who are at home in the light. I thought about some other animals, like, you know, back in the day, you come in downstairs and you flip the light on and all the roaches start going. Oh, Man, I hated that. It's like, well, you need to get somebody in pest control. Well, okay, that was just back then. We might not could afford pest control back then. I want you to notice that Paul says fruitless deeds. Watch this. What does he say? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. He doesn't say the fruitless doers. He says the fruitless deeds. Because I often think we can misinterpret this scripture and then misapply this scripture problematically we can read a passage like this and our interpretation of it and our application of it can be really different than what God intends. What I mean is this verse is not encouraging us to be judgmental separatists or modern day Pharisees. We don't go near those people. We don't associate with those sinners. But what we will do is self-righteously expose them for what they are, pagan, depraved, worthless sinners who deserve whatever they get when they get exposed. This is not the kind of exposure that Paul is talking about. Sometimes I think that that we believe God has called us to be a spiritual TMZ, which is an oxymoron in and of itself. And once we break the big bad story, expose the dark deeds of that dark doer, we have accomplished our goal and righteously sided with God. But God doesn't expose to kill. God exposes to heal. Religion without relationship exposes to harm, whereas Jesus exposes to heal. When God sought out Adam and Eve in the darkness of their sin, in their hiding in the dark, right? Because that's what we do. We hide, and we hide in the darkness. He he sought them out, and when he did, it wasn't to kill them. It was to provide redemption for them. Why do we think that God's coming after us to get us? when he's coming after us to save us. Even the last part of this verse is something I think we can easily get wrong. Like what they're doing, it says, it's so bad, it's shameful to even speak about. (laughs) Don't talk about that kind of stuff. You know what Paul's saying? He's like, no, you don't dwell on the actions and recount the actions and salaciously keep talking about them and replay them in your mind. Talk, oh, did you know? As if it's going to now tempt you as you continue to talk about it. 
but to focus on the person in need of the exposure to the light, not the deed of that person. Jesus had a similar approach to the woman that was caught in adultery, didn't he? That's its own message in and of itself that I don't have time for. But the religious temple-going folk, the Pharisees of that day, exposed this woman and left the man alone, mind you. Threw her out into the public square to openly expose her because that's probably what they would think. That's what Paul's probably even addressing a little bit when he talks about exposure. And to shame her and to ultimately what? Kill her through the judgment of the law. But the light of the world steps into the darkness of this moment, the darkness that would want to take the moral high ground while making sure those below get what's coming. But there's a way, Jesus is saying, to expose darkness to where the person becomes healed, whole, and light themselves. When Jesus shines his light onto this situation and onto this woman, it is to save her, not to enslave her. It was to free her, not to entrap her. He set her free. We have to remember that sinners were drawn to Jesus. They were drawn to the light. It was the religious who fled like cockroaches. Now, don't get me wrong. We are to expose evil wherever it is and to whomever it's doing it. That's what light does. It dispels darkness. Have you ever walked into a room and then the conversation immediately kind of changed? You ever walked into a place and all the joking and the laughter just like stopped like somebody pressed pause in the room? Well, if that's never happened in your life, you might want to wonder what you're doing when you step into dark places, what you're bringing yourself. Are you the light that God has called you to be as children of light? Here's what happens. The exposure or the rebuke that Jesus brings, that Paul is talking about, that we should have in our lives, that we should have in the lives of others through our life, is for redemption. This is why the implications of this verse are so important for us today. If we're going to be the church that Christ has called us to be, and the kingdom of God is going to continue to grow. Back in the olden days, and that's so sad that I have to say that about my own life. Back in the olden days of film and pictures, you would take a picture with a camera that wasn't the same thing that I could call people with or, I don't know, you know, play bingo on. Uh, it, it, it was, you just took pictures. And then once you took pictures and it was all done, you'd take that roll of film and you'd take it to the store and you'd drop it off and you put it in a bag and then somebody would take that film out and they'd go into a dark room and they would expose it to just enough light to let the picture come out of the darkness. And if you didn't expose it the right way, the picture would be improperly exposed to light and it would end up losing the picture altogether and creating some burnt up looking sunspot that you were hoping was this, what happened to my picture? In focus, we are called to be light. 
And when we step into the darkness, the negative, dark situations in people's lives, we expose them to the light of Christ in our lives. That's the exposure that Paul is talking about. We don't just expose them and consequently destroy them and burn them up as if that was what God's called us to do. And then what comes out is nothing. No, we expose them to the light and the love and the grace of Jesus in such a way that the darkness darkness of that negative light begins to give way to the light and what begins to appear is the picture of who they really are in the light of Christ. Verse 13, we're drawing this to a close. He's really elaborating on this point and I think when he says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Man, this is evangelistic right here. He's saying light makes things visible. Darkness hides the ugly realities of evil and sin, and that's where we like to hide when we're trying to hide and continue to walk in that darkness. When light reveals it, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. What's hidden cannot be healed. And too many of us fall prey to this trap that if I hide it, I can handle it. No, you can't. If I hide it, I can handle it. No, if you let Jesus expose it, he can heal it because you can't handle it at all. When we see the mold and the mildew and the dust in the corners and the cobwebs up on the ceiling fan of our lives, in essence, we don't ignore it, but we can let Jesus have it and shine his light into it and heal us. This is the second part of verse 13. It says that everything that is illuminated becomes light. Some of you remember those old calculators when they first came out that had that little bar on it that was like a solar-powered calculator, right? They still have them. I used to love just to put my thumb over it and watch the numbers disappear. I don't know why. I was just like, let's see if I can do this. Oop, I shut it down. Light down, on, off. I was bored in math. That's why I didn't do very good in it, okay? But the reality is there is something to that. I had this really cool flashlight. This somebody, I think my father-in-law gave it to me. It's like the Swiss Army knife of flashlights. It's got like, a, a, you know, a compass that I use all the time. And um, uh, uh, this thing right here that breaks glass that I also use all the time. And this could cut off my, you know, the, my seatbelt. I mean, I'm, it's great, but it's also a flashlight. It's got a magnet on it. Uh, uh, doesn't stick there. Okay. But there's this really cool solar power thing right here. It's like there's no, there's no batteries for it, and, it, and, and, I, and it, it shines pretty good. Whoa, 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 wow. Look at that. There's a solar panel thing right here, and when there's light on it, it works, and it lights up. Now, if I just hide it in my closet in the dark, guess what? When I pull it out, it's not going to work very well. And the truth of the matter is, in this metaphor... I want you to understand, because we're all made in the image of God, who is light, there's kind of a solar panel, if you will, in our hearts that needs to be exposed to the light of Christ as much as possible. And when it is, it becomes light too. And when it isn't, it is super ineffective. There's a twofold effect that should be indicative of our lives. When we shine the light of Christ on another person's life, 
which is what we're called to do. That's what Paul's saying. And they see the ugliness and the toxicity of their own life, not exposed to their shame and destruction, but exposed to their repentance and their hope in Jesus that all of a sudden when they see the light of my life that invites them into the light of Christ, they become light as well. Your light evangelistically creates more light in the lives of others. That is the goal of our life, my friends. Man, there's so much here. I literally, when I started this message, I was like, I don't know. There's just not enough here in these few verses. Then Paul goes on to say, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. How do you obey a command to wake up from the sleep? If your house is on fire and somebody's yelling, wake up, get out, save yourself. You don't obey by waking yourself up. The loud, powerful command itself wakes you up. You obey by doing what wakeful people do in the face of danger, and you get up and you leave the house. The call, the command, creates wakefulness. You respond in the power of what the call created. In the same way, how does a dead man obey a command to live again, like Jesus did with Lazarus? The answer seems to be the command carries the power to create a new life. Obedience to that command means doing what living people do, coming out of the tomb. Been stupid to stay in there. Once you're awake, you don't stay in the darkness. Once you're awake, you don't stay in the tomb. Once you've been saved, you get out of the burning house. This is extremely important. The command of God, rise up from the dead, carries in it the power that we need to obey it. We do not obey it by creating that power or that life. We obey it by doing what living people do. The call of God creates life. We respond in the power of what the call creates. Now, guess what? It is the call of God that has called us out of darkness. First Peter 2, 9 says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people called to show forth the praises of God, the God who did what? Who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It's the power of his call that called you out of darkness. And now, what do people that are called out of darkness do? They walk in the light. They put their hearts in front of the light of Christ, in front of his word, in front of his worship, in front of his people, in his church, doing what he's called us to do so they can shine brightly in a world that needs the light of Christ. Finally, Paul closes with, be very careful in how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because of the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We take time and care for things that we really care about. Our job, hobbies, education, home, family, on and on. And Paul's saying to take even greater care as believers in Christ with your Christian life. First be wise. Wise people make the most of their greatest commodity, which is their time. Not their money, their time. Because it's something once it's gone, you never get it back. So make the most of your time for the kingdom of God as children of light. That's what he's saying. Then he emphasizes, don't be foolish because wise people, as we talked about, learn and discern and test the will of God. What's God's will for my life? And that's a question that every Christian has asked. Because the more fundamental problem for us than wasting time is correctly discerning what God wants us to do with the time we've been given. 
The theme of Jesus' life as the light of the world was not my will, but God's will. That's how he taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now listen to me before I close. There's God's general will for your life and there's God's particular will for your life. Here's the problem. We spend the majority of our time looking for God's particular will for our life in the Bible when what God clearly reveals in the Bible is his general will for all of our lives. And if we will look for God's general will for all of our lives, which in this case Ephesians says is to do this, what? Is to be what under the headship of Jesus Christ, to be lights in the world, and subsequently because of how we live as light that we would ex- extend and expand the grand vision of God's redemption for the world as the people of God. God wants us to be like Christ, and it's that, that we are to be light. This is his will for all of us. His will for all of us is found in the word of God, the Bible. The will of God for the people of God has been revealed in the word of God. When we understand, which means we do God's word, and we act upon his will, which is his general will, which we can find again and again to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly, to have benevolence, to have fairness, to have integrity. All of these things is God's will for our lives. When we do that, then his particular will for our life will be revealed as we walk in the light, as he is in the light. And the advancement of his kingdom will take place. Here's what I want us to do, church. I want us to make sure that our hearts are in the light as much as possible. So that when we step into any situation, we shine the light of Christ. And when we step into the situations of those that are around us who don't know Jesus, it's not to expose them, to demean them, or to destroy them. It's so that they can be healed and whole and set free and walk in the light as he is in the light, just like we walk in the light. That's what Christians do. So I'm praying for our hearts today that we would be light because we once were darkness but now we've been made light in the Lord. Amen. Let's shine. Let's shine like God's called us to. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.